We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a celebrate the magic of the FA Cup properly, you spend two hours diving into the minutiae, getting granular on the third round cup victory over Blackpool. No, I'm kidding. You talk about transfers. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. All right, look, we beat Blackpool. We were into the hat. We got picked, and it's Manchester United at the Emirates. Do you love it? Do you hate it? We'll talk about that. We will talk a little bit about the Blackpool game, maybe. No promises. But we are going to talk uh, transfers. Uh, not so much because it's clickbaity stuff, but because there genuinely seems to be some interesting stuff to talk about, uh, both in terms of how you build a squad and where you look for talent and what kind of talent fits what kind of positions and what our team really needs at the moment. And uh, to be honest, all of that I think is a little bit more interesting than kind of a nothing game against Blackpool. We can talk about young Willick's performance and Kedia's performance. I thought they were two particularly interesting ones, a decision to bring on Lacazette, you know, always up for a debate about that kind of sort of thing, which seems to get everybody riled up. But let's start with a question near and dear to my heart that nobody is interested in but myself. Uh, who's on the podcast? <laughs> uh, Paul <laughs> is on the podcast. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. We Hello. already did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Clive's on Twitter uh, at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Tim is back, back from his holiday, not back in time for the podcast. So uh, you will be seeing his match preview videos later this week. You'll be hearing him on the podcast to come. We have another um, sort of deep dive squad building episode slash transfer spectacular coming to Patreon uh, later in the week. We had our first transfer spectacular where we dived into about five or six different targets uh, on Patreon. So if you haven't signed up for that and you want to, you can. If you don't want to sign up, we love you. We appreciate you. And we will try to get you as much quality content on this here podcast as possible. Uh, your results may vary. No, the question that I want to talk about, Paul, that nobody else wants to talk about is Cesc mm-hmm. Fabregas. Let's start there. Cesc Fabregas leaving the Premier <laughs> League, really uh, going off to retire with Thierry Henry and Monaco. Sounds like a hell of a way to do it. I will go live with Thierry Henry and Monaco if he'd invite me. I'm fine with that. He's um, a moody bastard. You know what? I'd, I'd do it, Paul. <laughs> I'm just saying I'd do it. Uh, I'm looking out my window. It's gray. It's frozen. It's No, I'm going to Monaco. That's fine. I can live on his yacht half the time. Um, let's Let's just... Answer this question. For you, Cesc Fabregas, let's say he retires at the end of this season. I'm not saying he's doing that, but let's say he did. Arsenal legend? Uh, tough one in terms of legend. I certainly wouldn't let his his uh, slithering out of our club uh, hold me back from legend status. I mean, I, I think overall, yeah, unfortunately we didn't win enough during his time, and that generally is a factor with legend status. But look, he was fucking brilliant. 
I mean, he was. I mean, we milked him pretty good. I thought he was actually fascinating at Barcelona and really good and asked to do all sorts of really different jobs. We were listening to the Stats Bomb podcast, I know, all three of us earlier today, and they did a nice little bit on Cesc. But when you think about what he was asked to do over there, you know, they mentioned the coming in some thought as a chabby type player but actually i mean i remember him playing on the wing a lot and then he played false nine and he did something similar uh false 10 depending on how you describe it for barzan for the national team kind of and his role at us progressed over time and we basically played all sorts of positions in the front you know four or five of an attacking team and he was fucking brilliant, and he had a level level of athleticism when he was younger, and his uh, maybe more than most, his legs got shot early. Uh, I fucking loved him, and he, he he was like he was the reason you switched on Arsenal, apart from all the other reasons. Maybe if you were something closer to a neutral, I mean, just he just fucking lit up the way we played, and and brought the magic, and everything rotated around him. And we had we had great moments with them. And I mean, you know, you watch movies that have happy endings and blah blah blah. They're almost not as fulfilling as the ones that have those tragic, uh, almost inevitable twists to them. And like we went through hell with him. Um, and I don't mind a little bit of a bad boy or a little bit of an ambitious guy. And I, I think you're the same. We can both see why he was so fucking desperate to get over to Barcelona at that time. Local boy, raised through their academy, Pep's in full swing, Messi's uh, one of his best mates, the Spanish team is kind of hitting top notes. I mean, who the fuck of us wouldn't want to get over there? And he tried to get out, he wanted to go the year before, he was kind of batted off like Ronaldo was, stay a little longer, stay a little longer, and I think he handled it extremely immaturely in terms of how he got out of the club. We won't get into that whole full discussion, maybe. I hope not. No, it's not worth rehashing. Everybody knows how it happened. Everybody knows both sides of it, and you've kind of picked your side at this stage. Uh, I thought it was shitty, but understandable. And other people, you know, can't can't harbor that. And I don't know how I would have handled it at whatever age he was. What was he, like 25 when he was making the move? Um, So, yeah, that's... It's a messy story, but the messiness is the story. So I thought it was fucking brilliant. I just, I defy you to find someone who left any club at the peak of their powers and did it with everybody's best wishes. You know what I mean? Like, how many players, like, the the players that leave that you still love after they leave are players that leave under a circumstance like Santi Cazorla. Like, they're leaving basically totally broken and overage and probably shouldn't give him another contract. And you're like, gosh, what a good guy. Arsenal guy through and through right to the end. Find me a guy that leaves in his prime that everybody still loves. I mean, ask Liverpool fans how they feel about Raheem Sterling. You know, what did he do wrong? He left to chase some money and, and, you know, further his career. It was best for the club in terms of how they reinvested. Look where they are now. It was best for the player. Look where he is now. But you're not going to find any of those kind of sympathies from the press. I I think you can find a couple at Liverpool where... where Arsenal fans might say, well, Coutinho left, not not in great shape, but, you know, it, it was a reasonable parting and the club did great. And Suarez stuck around that extra year and they made loads of money. But those were ones where the club eventually got behind it and maximized yeah, it. Yeah, they, they knew those players were going and they felt they got a great fee. Now, you could say, look, Sesk is part of the reason we didn't get the appropriate fee for a player of his caliber, that he picked the team he was going to, there was no market for it, and Barcelona really got one over on us. I mean, yeah. look. And we and we weren't motivated to get behind it, and our our squad was kind of going into a, an area of disarray. It wasn't all on Sesk. But we didn't want to sell him that summer. And had we taken a more pragmatic approach a little earlier and planned the exit with him, it would have ended up differently, is my take. We had some responsibility for it. He he was fucking desperate to leave at that particular point, not because he didn't like and love Arsenal, but he, you know, that train was leaving the Barcelona station and he wanted to be on it. And I can fucking understand that. Yeah, look, a few things. How do you measure legend status? Well, 
Did yeah. they feel like a part of the club when they were there? I think Sesk certainly ticks that box. He felt Arsenal through and through. And look, this is where you can't you can't prove a negative. You can't prove a feeling. I believe Cesc Fabregas loves Arsenal to this day and loved mm-hmm. Arsenal and felt a part of the club. Now, if you're listening to this screaming no way bullshit, like you're totally entitled to disagree with that. This is where it becomes a personal measure. Um, did he feel like a part of the club? For me, Cesc Fabregas felt like a part of the club right up until that final season when it was clear that his heart started to become, you know, was was really with Barcelona. Now, the next question is, was he at any point the best part of the club, the best player in the team? He absolutely was the best player of the team. He's the best player we've had at Arsenal since the Invincibles, and it's not close. It's not close. Um, the next question is, was he the best player in the league at any point or among the top? I would say Cesc Fabregas was, at various points, the best or right there as one of the best midfielders in England and all of Europe at periods during his Arsenal career. Um, his assist stats, through ball stats, key pass stats, they, they were off the charts. And there was a recent uh, sort of stat viz going along, tracking his career, basically showing he went from a kid to the best assist maker in Europe and then stayed there for his entire career, essentially. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he was. And, you know, then the next question is, did he win anything? I defy anybody to win anything with that Arsenal. I, I think that was a tough period. And, and, you know, a period where we didn't always take the FA Cup seriously in the way we did later on when it was clear that we had to end the trophy drought. I mean, there were a lot of B teams played in the FA Cup during his time there, but he did get us to a, a Champions League final with a team that was not a Champions League final team. He did get us within a whisker of a title in 07, 08, one we should have won were it not for the Eduardo leg break and the penalty at Birmingham. I mean, he did keep us in the top four, and we now see how tough top four is. Maybe it wasn't that tough then, but he did it with teams that were pretty ragtag. And I, you know, I just think to to throw all that away because of the way he left. If you want to do it, you're entitled to. I don't know. I mean, for you, Clive, in the pantheon of great Arsenal players during the Arsene Wenger era, where does he rate? And for you, will he be an Arsenal legend in your memory? I think he is uh, a very, very good Arsenal player legend. That's a personal thing, as you as you alluded to. I think he's a classic example of what I call not managing a player's career appropriately. I think we had a fantastic talent in our club. When I first saw him, being someone that likes, you know, I like my pace and power a little bit. I like that. It gives me comfort. And he was the first one to educate me there is another way to play. There's another way to be successful with your brain, with your metronomic movement. Not everything has to be a sprinter. You can be ultra-intelligent. So I really appreciated how he educated me. And then we 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 overburdened him. I remember we were going to buy Michael Carrick. I wish we'd have bought Michael Carrick and had Seth Fabregas. Imagine what they could have done together for many, many years. But we turned Carrick down at some ridiculous price, two point something million, because West Ham were really skinny at the time. And then we... We overburdened Sesk, in my opinion. We allowed him and Henri to carry us without supporting them appropriately until both of them left, uh, you know, a, a little bit in, under a cloud. And um, But I remember the European Cup final, I was there in the stadium, and we took him off with about 15 minutes ago. I reckon if we'd have kept him on, I think we'd have won that game. Flamley came on, did not actually touch the ball, and we lost control of the game, and we conceded two goals. It's something where you learn sometimes never overcoach. Just let the game flow, let it play. We were, we were we were 12 minutes away from winning that thing. And so that was a regret for me. He could have started his career with the biggest trophy of all. Um, I, I, I liked him a lot. Um, and I felt, funny enough, I did go to the club once to watch Arsenal train. And he, it was just before he left. And you could tell he was, you know, I'm, I, I saw him in the canteen and I met all the players. And, and I could tell from then that he was definitely not for staying, shall we say. He was a bit, he was a bit moody. And it was at a time when the rooms were starting. And, um, and sometimes you just outgrow a club and he felt bigger than the club at that time. And when you leave the club and when you assist a goal in a World Cup final, I mean, where else is there to go, right? So um, he went to the greatest club side probably in the history of the game. And um, as, as Paul alluded to, you couldn't really um, deny him that moment, right? So, um, yeah, I, I, I really like the player. I really like the player. And he's right up there in the Emirates era for me. Yeah, look, the intensity of the love you have for a player can also uh, mirror the intensity of the anger you feel if the break is not a good one, right? So... You know, I think because we loved him so dearly and held him so close to our hearts, the way it ended, 
it didn't really help, obviously. You know, I, I would ask people that consider themselves Ozil fanboys. You know, I, I don't mean that with any negativity. That's the wrong way to say it. Ozil supporters, people that really love Ozil. And I, I love Ozil, the talent. But people that love Mesut Ozil but cannot hold Cesc to their heart, I would certainly ask them to compare those two players and, and find for me the asymmetry there. I mean, I, I think I think Cesc was a more consistent performer at a much higher level than Mesut has been at our club. Um, Ozil did win the FA Cups, and you cannot take that away. But to say that Ozil won the FA Cups, I I think is a little it's unfair. It's a personal thing. It's a yeah. personal thing, isn't it, Ellie? It's just a personal thing. Um, you can't make people like pe- people like you do. You know, it's just something. I can try. try. God knows yeah. I'll try. I mean, get on think, Twitter uh, with me. You'll you'll find out. I'm willing to go at it. See, you know, I I have a friend uh, called Was who absolutely loves Aaron Ramsey. I mean, he just loves him, right? And um, as and, much as you hate him, or um, no. And we debate him all the time. And we have done for about three years now, right? And I wouldn't dream of trying to change his mind. He loves he loves the player. And um and I have a different view, right? And 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 it's all but I have a different view around his impact and where he sits on the pedestal. I, I can't deny the player can play, right? So um so we have good discussions about him and, and sometimes a player impacts you emotionally in a way that is personal and, and I have a few that have done have done that to me in the past and, and people should be allowed to have that thought process and feeling without F- doubt. Final thought, Paul, before we uh, maybe talk some transfers and if there's room we'll talk about some football on this football podcast. No, I was just going to make a smart quip that your specialty isn't getting people to love players. It's getting them to hate players as much as you, Elliot. <laughs> to be fair, they're both sides of the same coin. The problem is I do love players. I love lots oh of players. I just have players I don't yeah, care yeah, for. Yeah, but you're no like. good at getting other people to like the players you like. You're very good at getting people to hate the players you hate. Well, I mean, l- let's put it this way. Clive has a way of saying he hates Aaron Ramsey where it sounds like he's praising him. And all I, I have to do is say that I think Olivier Giroud is a big lump of useless flesh and everyone thinks I don't like the guy. I don't get what the difference is. It all sounds the same in my in my headphones. Let's let's move on for a second. Um we'll do a little Dennis Suarez talk and then we'll then we'll get into the Blackpool game because I do think the kids deserve it. <laughs> the kids listen to me patronize and I love it. Um okay. So Paul, do you want to just read out our Twitter our Twitter conversation? <laughs> because we don't have an hour and fifty minutes to read it. So why don't we condense it into this? Explain to me why you would be in favor yeah. of the Dennis Suarez move. Like uh, I I go a little hot and cold on these things. But anyway, I'll go back to my when I was really hot on the Dennis Suarez thing. Here's my logic. We <laughs> 24 hours ago. With, yeah. We often play with two advanced mids, right? And when we play with two advanced mids, like a Wobi Mikatarian is a kind of a classic setup for us. And those guys can get rotated. Uh, he brings somebody on in the second half, maybe on 45 minutes or 70 minutes or one of them's out of form or one of them's injured we have one of those at the moment maybe ramsey can fill that gap we haven't seen that that emery believes in that or not but we're a team that often plays with two advanced mids and our width comes from our our fullbacks or wingbacks charging forward now Yes, we try different variations, and that's not every game. But we would all agree that the one formation we've seen a lot of is Iwobi, Mkhitaryan, or some variant of that. Um, And we have one of those players at the moment. And even if you include Ramsey, he can't play every, every game every week. He can play maybe one game a week. So we basically have one and a half players for two spots. Uh, and we may well need a, a topper-upper sub in the coming on in the second half on 45 minutes or 70 minutes. So I would abs- if if Dennis Suarez is only as good as the two we got, well, so be it. If he can be even better than Iwobi, and after all, we blow hot and cold, and he blows hot and cold. Um, and people are somewhat ambivalent on Mikitari, and I like him. So it kind of—it's a function of how much does the manager rate him, and what does he think he can get out of him. Twenty-year-old Dennis Suarez was a hot shit property, uh, tearing it up. Won a Europa League with uh, Emery before. That—that's—that could come in handy a little later on this year. Um, almost unused at Barcelona, I think he had. 12 starts in the league a, a, a year or two ago but since then hasn't hit it off with them but that 
that doesn't mean that much either way. So it's kind of after that, it's down to the manager and what he sees he can use them for. If we get him on the loan, what's not to love? Uh, if he uses up all our funds to get him in at this time of year that we could use elsewhere, well, that's that's a whole other matter. But if we can get him on loan till the summer and he pans out, what's not to love? Uh, if I had to choose between him and a wide forward, um, that's a function of can we really get the next Sterling, Sané or Mane in January on the money we have? Uh, I think it's this this choice may be all about the art of the possible. In other words, here's a guy who wants to come, uh, fits our budget, i.e. we have none, fits our way of playing. The manager knows him. He's won a Europa League with him. There's good kismet there. Uh, maybe we can maximize our upside and this guy could be a real star for us. Yes, he hasn't shown any end product to date, but he fits our mold and we're short. We have about one and a half players when we need two to three per game that play his position. Okay, go. I have <clears throat> some rejoinders to that, and and I don't disagree with some of the things you said. I'll I'll, con- I'll call sort of my theory on why I'm not sure I love this the El Neni theory, and I'll explain that in a moment. But Clive, let, let me bring you in here so there's kind of a buffer. By the way, you know I, I think this is the problem with Twitter, right? Is you see a debate and you assume everybody is angry and upset and you know like punching things as they type and shouting curse words into the ether, like. No, it doesn't have to be that way. Like this, this is a fun debate that I think is really fun to have. And so, if you come across these kind of debates on Twitter, like you should consider that maybe the people involved, in, including yourself and the, the people you're debating with, are enjoying it and and saying some things tongue in cheek. And now, you know, when Paul says things, he means them angrily and hatefully. But when I say them, they are meant tongue in cheek <laughs> and delightfully because I am generally a pretty congenial guy. Uh, Clive, so yeah, w- what do you think of the move? P- potential um, mooted move, yeah. I, I, I can see why. We spoke last week, didn't we, about what's happening to Arsenal in, in centre midfield. Um, you fair enough, the, the goal at Blackpool where we played out from the back, that's not been happening in the Premiership lately because people are letting us play out from the back. When we go into centre midfield, they're pressing us and they're transitioning on us. And I spoke about having ball carriers right in centre midfield. And... This guy is one of those. I see him as a Mkhitaryan Iwobi-type rotation player, one of the two higher up in the box. And his type of player absolutely makes perfect sense to the problems we need to fix in the next phase of our midfield transfer type growth and strategy. So I can see why he likes him. He can play across. He's happy inside in tight spaces, but he can also receive on the touchline not saying he's a touchline winger i think a lot of the debate elliot that you guys were having online will are based around how we see the next phase of the team we just watched liverpool and city play and they have touchline wingers right they have fullbacks that invert that don't go past them they invert and they're there for the breakaway to make fouls along with fernandinho right so that's how liverpool and city are playing and their goal scoring comes from the wide forward areas so when we have someone like suarez coming on on potentially coming on board you're thinking well that's not what we need right but that's all come from your personal view around how you see the next phase of Arsenal developing and so I'm slightly I'm not saying there's a side here but I slightly understand Paul's view a lot more based on what we've seen so far this player suits the Arsenal that we think is going to develop over the next year or so because he's one of those interior sprinters that can dribble and carry but can also press and potentially we can see another one like that coming in and when you look at Ozil and Ramsey for example that we're not sure about their futures they are highly creative players in different styles but they're not sprinters and they're not ball carriers that run away from people they are creative in their own unique way but it's not in an old round way with it where the game is going i believe in the midfield space especially on the interior so i absolutely see why this type of player is being targeted i, I obviously he's got a history with the player what we can't tell when me and paul were chatting before what we can't tell is how good he is Right, and that that's what really counts at the moment. Arsenal can't afford to make talent mistakes. We need talent to come in and be better than we hope to push us to the next level. So how good is he? And none of us really, really know because he hasn't played a lot recently and we don't know how he's going to look in the Premier League. So 
that's that's the only sort of thing that well, lets me have a little bit of doubt about this. But let's see how we develop. Uh, can I add one quick thought, Elliot, before you yeah, go? Yeah, I don't really have strong feelings on this either way. So Yeah, yeah, yeah good. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's a different question whether you're asking it in January and June. In June, we can retool and kind of, to some degree, change how we play, plus what's possible. To play. I, it would be wonderful if we had a wide forward in mind, but it wouldn't be too surprising if he was almost impossible to get in January is the issue. So, so it's yeah. re- to me, it's something of a timing issue. If we were having this conversation in June, I'd probably feel quite differently. We could then transition to a different way of playing, really utilize a wide forward, and our, op- uh, our opportunities to bring in players would be much greater, and we'd have sold players and have cash. So yeah. I do think it's a timing aspect. Okay, so, so let's let's... Put aside the the obvious part, right? Which is, if you get this player for, let's say they settle on something like sixteen million, right? Barca want twenty. There was talk about a loan with a compulsory option to buy. Let, let's say you wind up getting him for sixteen million. If he turns out to be very, very good and back on the trajectory he was on a Real, and he knows Emery, and you know he's very good, no matter what position he plays, to get a very good twenty-four year old for sixteen million pounds is always good business. Right, so there, it's hard to deny that if you get a really, really good guy for sixteen million pounds, who's twenty-four, then you've done well. I mean, there's there's just no way around that. Now, my objection to it is a few things. I mean, first of all, he has spent about two seasons basically not playing at Barcelona, which isn't great at that stage of your career. I mean, you know, we've seen with players who got injured, like a, a Jack Wilshere. I mean, obviously that affects your body development, but also it can stymie your development as a player it, it's just it stops momentum um i think there's a few things here first of all there are a lot of barca castoffs that just aren't very good like the reason they don't make it at barca is they're just not very good you know we've we've bought from barca before uh with mixed results i mean i would say that you know does anyone want andres gomez for example i don't think so i mean everton are looking at them but you know there there are a lot of guys who have left barcelona who have been terrible um here's my biggest issue though the the idea that he can come in and be an impactful wide forward for us just doesn't wash with me. I don't see him as but he's a, not a wide forward. Either. He's, he's not, not I, right. But but so what I'm saying is right now what I see is there are two problems in our squad we have to address if we want to be better. One is we need a center back. Nobody debates that. Long term we need a left back. We know that, but we don't need it right now immediately. It's not like a pressing issue. Um, the other thing is we don't have a winger. We just don't. You know, we don't have Asane, Mane, Sala, Sterling, uh, Mares. We, we may not, we, but we may not want one. I, that's crazy to me. That's we, just we, absolutely. We, that, we, if we don't want we one, then we're negligent. Want, then, then we're not. We, we're not we, run properly. I mean, look, look may, at every good team we, in Europe; they have one. No, we may want, uh, say, for example, a Nicolas Pepe, someone who can play wide, but he's a striker wide. You know? Okay. So yeah. He's not right. a. He's not a touchline. Uh, Sancho, for example, just on player type, shall we say, you know, just for just for point of debate, he's a wide forward that will probably develop into a centre forward, right? So, and how who can dribble, right? So, Danny Welbeck, regardless of what you think of him, was playing that role in the short term for us, and we haven't got that third striker okay. that's a little bit more. But that's not Dennis Suarez either, I, right? I mean, this, this is not. no. So, this not. is my 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 point, Clive, is just that. Uh, in terms of addressing immediate needs in January that make us better right now. Now, you might say, we can't afford, this is what we can afford. What I would say is, he profiles to me more like an Awobi. And I think we have enough yeah. players who can Why be do impact- you think we have enough? Uh, well, here, let, let me just say, adding another player who can carry the ball through midfield a bit and, and can do final third entries and can do dribbles on the edge of the final third but gives you four goals and three assists a season is in my opinion, does not make us better. At that point, I would rather you bring Nelson back and play a Nelson or you throw, you know... A, we can't a, bring Nelson back. Okay, but It's you th- not in the contract. Uh, okay, but you... We void- don't have... The, right. So you've got to address the so question, where are send, these players? Mkhitaryan's injured. You send someone to Hoffenheim in the dead of night with a bag. You put him in the bag. You bring him back to Arsenal. You get a shirt that says Nielsen. And you just say, we don't know where your player went. This is our player, Nielsen. And I'm sorry, that's who we're playing. And then we it all goes pillow, away. Pillows in his bed overnight. Yeah, exactly. So, and then re- just, a recording like in Ferris Bueller's Day Off where he just says, I'm too sick. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, this is really important stuff. Yeah, it is, right? So what you're assuming... 
what you're assuming is if we take this opportunity that's available for us in January, there is an opportunity to get a known quantity to the coach. There's, a, there's an opportunity to get somebody that potentially is financially a better deal than, say, Mikatarian, for example, that could change in the summer on that wage structure. I think we all agree that Arsenal's wage structure needs financially changing and restructuring. So this player could be that player. And then you add it in a Nelson and you've got suddenly you've got two half space players for us along with the Wobi. Right? So that that could quite easily happen. And in January it is really what opportunities are out there versus what our strategy is. It doesn't mean that the more strategic signings are the ones you have to generally wait for the summer for. Sometimes you've got to take an opportunity that presents itself before somebody else takes it. And that's how I view it. I don't see this as I get that. a priority game. It doesn't mean that we are taking, we're not adhering to the priorities that we all know. I mean, as soon as you mention this player, I get five tweets back saying, the left back needs a 10.5. Now, I haven't seen much of those opportunities out there at the moment. So, right? so okay. But there does seem to be opportunity in this space. It doesn't mean we should ignore it because it's available and it's well-priced and a known quantity. And it doesn't mean that the priorities that we all know and everyone listening to knows are being ignored. Okay, so, so let me give you what I think El Nenny theory is. El Nenny theory is... A player with some useful traits who isn't bad, but adds no incremental value to the squad to the point where if he was not there, whatever you put in instead of him would add as much or more. I believe if El Nenny crept out of the training ground tomorrow and vanished into the forest, that we would be as good a team the next day and could put someone in that position from our academy or somewhere who could give us what El Nenny gives us. Now, again, I'm not saying Dennis Suarez is is necessarily Mm -hmm. El Nenny, nor am I saying that I want him to creep into a forest and disappear. What I am saying is that, you know, let's say right now we could buy a... We could take on loan a defensive midfielder who's 24 years old, hasn't played in two years, and could wind up being 16 million and might be decent. I mean, do you always take that deal? We don't need it. Do you always take that deal? Now, where I will give you credit... two DMs a game and bring one on at 45 minutes or 70 minutes? Because that's what we do <clears> with the Wobie so and Mekatarian. So this is where we I think you... three have, of them. Here's where I just think you and I have a slight subtle disagreement. It's, it's not that I disagree with you that, you know, Emery seems to have an unlimited capacity for playing, you know, inverted midfield wide forwards in a game. What I'm he saying does. is that I would rather he find an option to play like a winger instead of just kind of defaulting to a guy he knew three years ago who profiles as the kind of player we already have in the squad. We We need something to make us better, you guys. I don't think the problem is numbers. I don't think we're not better well, because we, we don't three. have... Sure, we but, do have a numbers problem. We need three per game. But, Paul, would you... Would, let we me have ask, one and a half. Which would make us better? Is, having that, another is, or having something different? Which would make us having better? Having another. We, we actually need a minimum of two. Go ahead, Clive. Per game. Yeah. This is just a style issue. Yes. Right? Yeah. You, it's just a style difference. You have a view on this style. And by the way, I'm not far away. I like that style too. I know who wouldn't want two fantastic goal scoring, super fast wingers that hug the touchlines and drive in and score. Right? I just but want Dembele, and you guys know. want Dennis Suarez, which is weird to yeah. me. I don't know why I'd you don't like, want Dembele. I would like Dembele. I'm kidding. It's a joke. Right? That was a joke. But everyone's with you on that. Right? No, I, but that was a joke. What, just we, what, we've seen, what we've seen with this team, we can only go on what we're, we're piecing together a style here, right? And it's, if, if anything, it's, um, it's, it's a fallback-driven style in those higher areas. The width is provided by... Movement arriving late into space, driving on inside or outside shoulders, and crossing the ball from either fullbacks, combining with a Suarez type. Right? You have two centre mids that sit, and they cover the wide space that the fullbacks leave. That may be what he wants to do. Right? So he needs multiple of these type of creative players that are pre-assist killers, and that's what he might want to. That's what we've been watching for three months. So what have we been watching? So why all of a sudden, because we feel we are a striker short, and I believe that striker should be happier in wide areas as well, because that just makes sense, right? For the day, you want to play three. 
but we are a striker short in the squad and he may decide I don't like wingers and he might be buying two extra fullbacks in the summer to make sure we can rotate and have four very aggressive fast and penetrative fullbacks stroke wingbacks that provide the width that you're talking about and that may be his style and based on what I've seen and based on on some of his you know some of his Spanish teams I didn't see many um, Dembele-type wingers. I know no one would turn that down. But you know what I'm trying to say? No, I didn't see many of those. I saw a far more compact midfield-driven team in a 4-2-3-1 with inside forwards or a 4-2-2-2-2, if that makes sense. I I think we should stop this um, and talk about the Blackpool game. (laughs) It's just a style thing, man. It's just a style thing. No one is wrong. That's Look, why it went on for five Somewhere, <laughs> there's a three million pound wide player who's going to be a hundred million pound wide player like Dembele was. Okay. Now, the odds that you find that guy are very, very small. I get that. I mean, Mislintat did it before. To me, what Paul is saying is we don't have enough of this type of player. And if we can get one who Emery's familiar with, who is good, and it's at a reasonable price, and we can do it right now, that makes the team better. And it's not that I don't see the logic in that. It's that I think getting someone who is different from what we have would make us better. I'm not sure that getting another, like, let's say you could clone Awobi and have a second Awobi. Would we be a better team with a second Awobi? We'd be a deeper team. It might improve us in some ways, but I don't think that would move the needle. Paul, do you see what, do you see what I'm saying? It's not that I don't acknowledge having another one would be of benefit. It's that I'm saying... Having another one doesn't move the needle, in my opinion, in terms of what our ceiling is this season. I see it, but I, your argument holds a lot more sway to me in June Okay. when I when I think the options will point. be there. I think he's pretty much settled how he's playing for the next four or five months. That's it, what I think. It certainly is easy to say that there may not be another superior deal to this one out there for us to make at this time. And that if this makes us incrementally better and there's no other deal that can and the price seems to be right, especially if it's a loan with an option to buy, then doing it makes sense in that there's no reason really not to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. So yes, I, I, I do follow that. I will say this, if it indicates that this is the type of wide player that Emery prefers, that will be a bit concerning to me, because I think that we should at least be considering looking at that City and Liverpool game and saying there's they're on to something over there. Anyway, let's move on um, and talk about Blackpool, because there really are some things that are worth talking about. So the first thing I want to talk about, Clive, is the Manchester United drug. No, I'm just kidding. We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the kids. We'll, we'll, we'll come to Willock, but let's start with Enkedia. I mean, he, he clearly looks to be the next Aubameyang, right? Good movement, Absolutely. gets on chances, misses them all. Um, but but all kidding aside, I mean, it will be a frustrating night for him for not scoring, but I think there were more encouraging signs than anything else. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed this game. Right? I mean, I really enjoyed what it represented. Right? So I spent, I used to go away from home a lot, and it looked to me like a, an old school away day for those in the ground where you go and we've got a couple of sides as the away team and we would dominate the stadium and have a good drink, have a good laugh, and it all looked really positive. And in some of these cup games, you get more fans going that don't, that are not season ticket holders per se, away season ticket holders. So you get a you get a good group, and it really looked like one of those games that you'd like to be at from a uh, from a fan watching perspective. And what I, when I saw the team come out, I thought, oh, this is interesting because all the experience was in the back of the team, and all of the inexperience and youth was in the front of the team. And I thought that's quite brave because you're now asking these young kids to score. I thought, oh, he must be playing Ramsey in the hole because he's your, he's more of a guaranteed finisher. I get it. Put Willett deeper. But no, it was the other way around. And I thought that was really brave. And I must admit, I did see Adrian Clark's breakdown, which I thought was one of his best that he's done. Because I thought he assessed his game absolutely brilliantly and sort of took away some of the things I was going to say. Because it alluded to what I spoke about. Sometimes you've got to play a bit more direct to move away from what teams were doing to us in the centre of the pitch. And we were very direct, and, and Eddie's movement into those channels was was fantastic. And once we got into those areas, we looked really good. And that style of play that we had, with real pace and carrying ability high up the pitch, I know it was young, but 
I love the transition picture that was coming at me. I love the fact we were running away from people, carrying the ball to them, challenging them. I know there's a different physicality and intensity level at that level, but we're talking about really four fairly young kids under the age of 22. I know you don't think 22 is young, Elliot, but you got a you, know, you got a couple of 19-year-olds in there and a couple of 21, 22-year-olds in there. And Do I you thought think we it's young? I think it's. I would. I would love to be twenty-two. Let's. let's yeah. not be, <laughs> Every, everything's young compared to me, mate. But I have to say that they they looked good. They looked quick. They penetrated. Look in control. They recovered well. They reacted well. And they lost the ball. And I just thought, wow, that's a real signal and a real sign of trust from the manager to say, I'm, I trust you to create and score. And, and Aaron Ramsey and El Nenny and Socrates, I want you to look after the back door, and, and which I thought I did really, really well. So, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this game. And um, it was a – I know Eddie didn't score, but if he had a scored, that is a very promising show. And we all remember the last kick, which is the hardest thing to do, put it between the net but, – um, between the post, sorry. But there's some – his movement is outstanding. And not just in big spaces, but small spaces as well. The way he turns himself around to get his shot off. He just, when he misses, the camera flashes to his face and you see his age. And you think, man, I want you to score. Because if you score, I wonder where your confidence level could take you. You know, why I think it could take him somewhere. He needs to play against men, mate. He needs to play from, with men who are looking for mortgages, right? That's what he needs. He needs to play with people who are after the win bonus. When you miss a chance, they tell you about yourself. And that's what that's the harsh word of football. You know, in the Premier League, you know, everyone's going to nurture you. When you're playing in the Championship and League One, they want those win bonuses, right? They want them badly, and you're going to get them for them. And, they, and, they, and they're after you, and you have a level of accountability. And um, I think that's what he needs to take him to the next level, because I think... Much like Chelsea using Tammy Abraham at the moment, I think he could do a job for somebody, especially the second striker in the championship, no problem at all. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I, this is where I think it can be instructive to discuss what I think about one player versus another player. And so, you know, when, I, you know, when, when Tim says end product comes with time, for example, you know, basically something he's said in the past, um, that's Tim Stillman. He will be on the podcast again, I assure you. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I do agree with that. But, like, when we've discussed Iwobi and I've said I don't see the end product, it's because I don't see a guy who's going to score goals in there, you know, and I, I don't necessarily project it coming. With Enkedia, you see the goals are in there. I mean, he's going to finish some of those chances. You know, that will come. I You know, when you get big chances, when you get high XG chances, when you are constantly finding yourself in front of goal with the ball at your foot, like, eventually you're going to score goals. There's a great article. Um, it might have been on the ringer. I, gosh, it might have been... I can't remember about, you know, how we have to think differently about goal scoring. And it was talking specifically about Sterling and the importance of movement and where you show up in the box and touches in the box and, and shots and things like that. But, you know, Paul, I, I see a future goal scorer in Enkedia. Now, whether he'll make it or not, I don't know. I mean, you know, is it repeatable? Does he have the physical attributes to, to repeat what we saw him do against Blackpool? Because that is obviously lower tier opposition and he, his best performances have been in cup ties against lower tier opposition. But I, I at least see that this is a player who's going to have end product. You know, you look at like a Benekophobi and stuff like that. I, I didn't necessarily see it. And Kedia somewhere, whether it's Arsenal or somewhere, is going to score goals. I, I buy that. Um, you want to talk Kedia or do you want to move on to Willock? you have some final thoughts on Kedia? Uh, well, I certainly agree with both. Uh, I'm enjoying both your opinions on Ankatia. Uh, uh, in fact, we had two strikers playing who... Uh, You've, you struggle with the, the number letters and the pronunciations in there. I, I think you should pronounce the N and the K. And then you've got Ganan Duelat. And I think if they put in all those letters, you should definitely pronounce them. So, you know, I'm going to. Um, I, th I think Ankatia, um, we've seen often enough that he's a finisher. And I liked his misses in this game. Like, he went across the keeper once when he should probably should have gone uh, shot near post. And conversely, I think his first strike was to the near po post and not bad, but he should have gone across the keeper. Um, and then the, the middle opportunity was the ball that went across him. And he's stretching onto his left foot. That's not, he, he doesn't sky it. I mean, he doesn't fucking balloon it. Um, he just can't quite wrap his foot around it. He does get an assist. I thought his movement was excellent. 
Um, he trapped the ball well. He dropped into midfield like Lacazette does and held up play, especially in the first half. Um, uh, and maybe he's the kind of player who will respond to the fact that it was a good performance and he didn't get a goal because uh, he just seems really switched on. You know, you you maybe read too much into uh, face and, and and body language and stuff, but he looks like a guy who will always maintain his confidence. He doesn't look like, you know, uh, Chuba Akpom um, was a player who seemed to have a lot of the abilities, but he just didn't carry himself like a guy who really believed. Um, and he'd also have those misses where you'd wonder what the fuck was that. I, you just don't see that with Enkatia. He carries himself in a certain way. He has a certain innate confidence, a belief in himself. And anything I've ever been able to watch on him in the past, his finish, finishing's actually been one of his strengths. So I'm pretty optimistic on him. Um, somebody reminded me on the, the Willock topic that I had previously t- marveled at how small his head was like it was like you know when you over peel a potato and I completely forgot about that and they said in this game I was thinking it must be really hard to like it's much harder to head the ball into the net because he did that very cleanly if you have a small head right because like you know, the radius is changing really quickly, whereas you've got, a, like, a really big flat head. Is this where I'm supposed to be cutting you off? Like, anywhere. are you just waiting for me to jump in and cut you off? Because I, I was kind of curious... i what your limit is. No, I, I mean, it, it was right when you started mentioning his head size, but there was a part of me okay. that was like, let's see if he turns this into a point, but clearly you weren't going to. Clive, No. Um, <laughs> you know, I have to say with Willick, I, this is a guy that I'm not sure I ever had high hopes for, in part because I was never really sure which Willick he was, and that may have all kidding aside, <laughs> played into it. Honestly, I did not have the bandwidth to keep track of the Willicks. Um, okay. But, I, you know, the thing that's interesting to me is this isn't a little kid. I mean, his, he's bigger. You know, he's a bigger guy. And, you know, his movement's good. He seems to have good power. I mean, are we seeing him sort of blossom into a potential first-team player? Yeah, I didn't see this one as, as much. It took me a little while to see it, shall we say. Um with um with Eddie he he came out of Chelsea and we we he was a, a star against us and everyone knew about him with with um young Joe Willock I think um it's a bit more uh, harder to see for me and um on those chances by the way Paul all he, Eddie got wrong was his stride pattern he just got his stride pattern wrong on the first one that means he was stretching so he went near post and on the second one. When he was stretching on the cor- on the corner, when uh, we was played across by Maitland Niles, again he got his stripe out and run, which meant he arrived late. Those are small details. This kid understands his role around the box definitely. And on Willock, I was not a fan when I first saw him, and mo- most mostly because not I wasn't a fan. I just thought, why is the manager selecting him over Ben Sheaf, Marcus McGuane? Players like that, who I felt from watching the youngsters, were ahead of him physically, and I thought they were better in centre midfield. And yet he was playing this kid in there, and I thought it was just to make him sign a contract, and he didn't really rate him. So that was my original thought when I first saw him. But then he really has changed physically in the last sort of six months or so. He's grown, and then you think, okay, now I can see it, right? Now I can see what they could see, obviously, from working with him every single day, right? So, and I think we've got something here. I'm not sure what he is yet, because he moves around. When he originally came in, he played in the middle two. Now, he, in a lot of games, he's played a little bit higher up, which is a good place to, to hide a kid, right? You can make him confident you can he seems to move well and score goals but you can almost hide them in the armchair of the number 10 they can work and they can play with with a level of freedom without having responsibility which Aaron Ramsey and El Nenny showed in this game they showed a, a wonderful creative responsibility between the two of them and I was really impressed with, with both of them actually um Ramsey so, yeah. and Iwobi seem to have a pretty good understanding, I think, in particular in this game. It was quite interesting seeing Ramsey played from deep, and I just wonder yeah. if the manager wasn't trying something there. Well, you know what, Paul? Let's let's do my little bit on Ramsey. I've always been... My issue with him has always been stylistically. He can do... He can do anything. Right? He can play high, he can play wide, he can play deep. And my issue is, because you can do that, decide what you are. Don't try and be all of those things and end up not being quite good enough at any one thing. 
right? So we can say, we're going to stick our, our hat on you. Does he play the deep role as, as, as good as Shaka and Torreira? He played it slightly differently, but he's a very high controlling player. I think he could easily do the Shaka role easily if he chose to concentrate his mind on doing that i think he hasn't got the sprinting power of a Torreira, but he could definitely do the shaka role and for me that's his best role that's his best role i don't think he scores enough playing as a 10 if you compare if you compare he's played nearly 400 times for Arsenal. i think he scored 50 plus goals right 58 or 59 goals Deli Alley's played around 170 times for Spurs in that number 10 role, and he's already got more than 50 goals. So you say to yourself, I know it's been injury, I know it's been a longer time, but there's, a, nearly, there's nearly over double the appearances. So yes, he scored some amazing goals for us that stick in your memory. Really important goals well, two for things. us. Yeah. But I think he's a majorly good midfielder that's really concentrated on something that I actually think other people could be better at. But I think he could be a very metronomic, great number eight that works side to side like he did in this game, take it off the back four and basically be outrun the complete bat ball team in the centre of the pitch rather than trying to score goals all the time and, and relinquish his job in centre midfield. I thought he gave a fantastic performance in this game. Leadership-wise, leading the club, that, that type of player, that type of individual... It makes me wonder what the hell are we doing? You know, it really, it really does. And it's not because we have made to get ourselves in this situation with him that we can't afford him. We're probably going to get two players for the money that he wants. Right? We can't afford him because we've mismanaged other people. Well, we're paying yeah. Carl Jenkinson forty thousand pounds a week. That's wrong, and he's in his second contract. Imagine that's what we're right. going to be paying Dennis Suarez for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not right. That's not real. Because, because, <laughs> because of these sloppy decisions, we're now losing. Whether you like the player or not, I respect his professionalism and how he approaches these games. I can't help it. He just did the right things in this game for the whole team and the club. And he's gone up in my estimations post that Blackpool game for sure. Yeah, I, what I would say, just real quick with the comment about, you know, scoring more goals, I mean, the, the problem for Aaron Ramsey really has been that he underperformed XG for a big part of his career. I mean, his XG90 and Deli Alley's XG90 is basically close or the same. Um, you know, I would also argue that Deli Alley has played more as a support striker than Ramsey ever did. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, so, you know, I, I don't know that I, I necessarily agree with the comparison as a direct one, um, you know, because Ramsey far outperforms Alley in things like XG buildup. So, you know, you yep. see that he's played deeper more. But put it, putting that aside, look, I, I think there's also a fair question here of if Ramsey's staying till the end of the year, if he's not leaving in January, you know, Paul, should we be using him this way or is he someone we should just have teed up to be a starter in Premier League and Europa League games instead of, let him sort of waste away in in rotated squads until he's gone. I mean, he he is good enough yeah. to influence the first team. How do, how do you feel about how we? Let's assume for a second he doesn't go in January. How do you feel about using him this way? Well, I I guess I would say I think we're in a transition period where we've gone from the first half of the season we had other players, we used other players, and there was a doubt over his future. Now his future's decided. Okay, it means he's leaving it very probably in June. But we also have the requirement to start to use him. Uh, other people have had their chances. So, you know, Iwobi can't complain. Mkhitaryan can't complain. They've all had their shot. They've all laid their stake. There are still gaps even after that through injury, but also through need, right? Ozil has had his chance and not taken it. So the gaps are th now there for Ramsey. And I just wonder if what's gone on over the last couple of games where he is being used is Emery again, as he says, taking information from games. Why did he play him deep and Willock ahead? There could be various reasons for that, but he might have wanted to see Ramsey in this role, uh, in this kind of a game, uh, to see the different places he can use him. So I'm hoping that the second half of the season will be where he does exactly what you intimated maybe he should be doing. Take advantage of Ramsey and his abilities. Um, either as one of the two advanced mids or deeper in midfield when he needs that. Obviously, he has his two main pivots, but there will be games and we'll have two games a week. So I'm hoping we're flipping to second half of the season, milking all the goodness we can get out of Ramsey because you can basically milk anything with nipples.
Oh, I've got nipples. Can you milk me, Paul? Uh, no, thanks. That's what is that? Meet the Fockers, right? Yeah. Yep, Meet the Fockers. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. the other one. Uh, the one of the Fockers. I'm the Fokker. Yeah. Fokker, Fokker, yeah. whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so th- then the next question, though, is is about how he the substitution patterns in this game. And Clive, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I, if he wants to play Lacazette in this game, fine. The, you know, I do get bent out of shape about rotation. I know that probably more than I need to. I don't mind Lacazette logging some minutes in this game, even though I don't think it was necessary. But I think my argument is more with like the Awobi and Cola thing, like. Why not get Sack on there earlier? Awobi's become such an important part of the first team. Like, you know, why not bring Saka on and, and really let him... The last couple of times he's got on, he hasn't gotten a touch. I mean, Kolasinac is... You know what's crazy? He's one of the highest XA per 90 players in all the Premier League right now. He is so essential to our buildup. He plays almost the whole game, despite the fact that he's had injury issues. I mean, even more than the Laka thing, do you have an issue with, with those substitutions maybe not coming a little sooner or maybe those players not playing at all? Yeah, it'd be great, wouldn't it? It would be great if Monreal was fit. It'd be great if we had a young left back in our academy that could really do that role in a similar way. But we just don't. And that's an issue. We have a lot of these forward type players. So we saw a few in this game. And if you add Smith Rowe to that, they're they're the stars, right? They're the future. But we don't have, you know, apart from Medley, we don't have anything coming out defensively. Um at this moment in time, right? We, there's a young right back. I've forgotten his name, but he's he's not quite there yet. And so we need to do, we need to get something in that space. We've got a young kid from Barcelona called Lopez, I believe. That's a 16, 17 year old left back, but he's very slight. He's nowhere near it. We don't have anything happening in that area because you're right, Elliot. But what's the choices? What are the choices? They're just not there. You know, the Colosseum is massive for us. He, he creates and he also makes Iwobi look five times better, right? So we lose him. We, we've got a problem. Monreal, for me, is a problem. You know, that needs to change big time. And I, I'd like it to change now because I think he's gone. I think his legs are gone completely. He's just not moving well. He's not fit. Yeah, I, I agree with comes him. back. If he comes back, we're just he's, he's just not the player he was. And as a classic example of what we've, we've allowed to happen, we've allowed him to get old on our books right there was an opportunity to sell him last year to real social we should have took it and that's what you do you bring someone younger in take it sell don't hold on you know take the money take whatever he is give him a chance to end his career appropriately in a slower league right so he did really well last year and we were hoodwinked by it but i saw it in the semi-final against Atletico madrid he was going I saw it in my own eyes, and I thought we got to do something there, and we didn't. And we've got no, we've got hardly anything from him this season, and now we're overplaying another injury-prone left wing back, left back, in and Kolasinac. By the way, someone tells me I say it wrong. Um, that Kolasinac. We have that, I think. Well, people right. say I should say Kolasinac. So uh, we, maybe we, I'll. We'll we'll sort it out in post. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And um, and so yeah, I think that's a problem. So I don't think it's the manager's fault. He's been given this squad. Right, so now he needs to sort that out in the in the summer. I don't think we see a left back in in January, but it would be great if we could, because the fullbacks are vital to us. Until we find that mythical winger that you so want and crave, Elliot. I do want. I do crave. I want and crave quite a few things, Clive. <laughs> what I want and crave right now is to wrap up this podcast with a quick discussion about the next round. We have drawn a club. It says here, hang on, Man- Man- Manchester. Is that how you say it, Manchester? Yes, yes, Man- Manchester. Manchester. Un- untied. Manchester untied next round uh, at the Emirates, so I don't have to look up where they play. Probably some no-mark stadium somewhere in England. Um, but, I mean, I've been told this is a big one. How do we approach this, Paul? We have all kinds of big, tough games surrounding that. We've got City. We've got Chelsea. Uh, you know, not to mention games we have to win, like Huddersfield and, and West Ham. What What's your feeling about, you know, how to approach another home tie against a big club in a cup. I mean, we we gave it a shot doing it one way against Spurs in the League Cup. I mean, how how much of a priority is the FA Cup really? I mean, if we put aside the romance, if we put aside the fact that we're the all-time leaders in winning it, if we put aside that it really revitalized the club the last couple of cup wins that we got during a particularly down period, where's that competition got to stand in our priorities right now, and how do we approach this tie? Uh, it's a tough one. Um, it... it Clearly, the Europa League and the Premier League top four is way far ahead of it in terms of what we need to prioritize. But the game itself, United, 
at the Emirates. Uh, there's kind of no way to half ass it. So I think all he can do, it, it kind of, s- some decisions are made for you by fate. And and it is what it is. I don't think you you obviously don't play your strongest side, but but really the difference between your 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 A team and the team you put out against United is you look at a few of your players and say who's absolutely shattered and needs to be rest as opposed to you're rotating your squad. So I think you just dial off a couple of players, uh, but you're basically putting out something that will look like a, a your first team starters with you know, taken into advisement who needs, who needs to step back, you know, maybe you play Lacazette in the center instead of Aubameyang uh, and you're giving Aubameyang, you're sticking him on the bench, not for tactical reasons, but because he's a bit shattered. So you make those one or two tweaks to the setup, but you're basically playing your, uh, you know, the, the 11 of your best 13 or 14 based on who's a bit shattered. I don't think you can do much else. You can't play the kids. Maybe you can play a kid. Maybe if Willock keeps pushing on, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll have a place for himself, but, but, um, you know, maybe you get like the one option to put somebody who fits outside of your best 13 or 14 in there, but not really. I think you gotta, you gotta go for it. I think United will go for it. Um, so they're going to come to the Emirates and play a, a really fucking strong 11. I don't think Emery will feel he'll have the opportunity to, to dial back from that. Yeah. And you're probably right. This this is where it's tough, right? Like, he's his job is to ignore what fans want mostly, right? I mean, yeah. he, if, you know, Europa League is back and the the big Premier League games, I mean, you beat Chelsea... You take anything from City, you're legit in a top four race. I think, you know, I think you get through to the next round in the Europa League and you beat Chelsea, and fans are going to be real sympathetic to what happens against United if you say, "Hey guys, look, I'm throwing in Caddy out there, and I'm I'm throwing, you know, maybe it's a Gendouzi. I I don't know. I, look, you know how what a mixed squad would look like. I, I think you'd get some sympathy for that. I mean, Clive, is that your opinion, or are you going full bore and it's you know crush United? No, I'm sort of with you on that, Eddie. I think uh, the Chelsea game will will tell us a lot, right? So um, if we were to win that game, everything will be high. And we go into the Manchester United game and the whole club would be buoyant because we'd be right there. And, um, and there are certain games in the season where you have to show up, right? You have to show up in a positive way. The good thing about the cup games, Elliot, is the way fans get a lot more tickets and the atmosphere in some of these games are going to be fantastic. And that game could potentially be on a on a Friday night. So Friday night at the Emirates. Well, I'll tell you what, mate. I'm, I'm doing what you call dry January at the moment where you don't drink in January. But I'll be breaking it for that game. and that's Because that will be, if it's a Friday night in London, that will be the game of all games. And trust me, the club will have to respond to that. It'll be an unbelievably atmos- unbelievable atmosphere if that happens. And um, and so I see it just as, as Paul does, really. I think you know, he has to play a strong team. And remember, we know Emery's goals, we know the club's goals, but Emery's still trying to regain you know, gain trust from us. We saw what happened when he had a couple of draws. People are starting to wonder. He's still trying to get trust from us. He's still trying to get trust from, from his board to get the right level of funds. And I think he's really got a very difficult job. And he's he's got a real problem because he's not Pochettino, Klopp or Guardiola. And they are seen as the top three coaches in the league and everything else is average. And he has to make himself a reputation. And that's going to be based on how his teams perform. And he needs these wins. He needs to convince people. He needs to convince the fans. He needs to convince the media. He needs to be a little bit more likable by the establishment to allow him the time to develop his team the way he wants to, with the trust that he requires to do so. And I can hear people saying, well, Clive, what, what do you, what, he shouldn't care, he shouldn't care what people think. Well, it does matter. We've seen a manager hounded out by what people think, right? How people perceive him. And I think it's really important his perception is allowed to be maintained for at least this season. And if you think that 
by going out to Manchester United and by, by rotating and playing Keys is going to help that. It's just not going to. So he's going to go. He's going to go for it where you know where where best he can. You know, obviously not playing people in the red zone, for example. But it's going to be a strong team. Manchester United going to do exactly the same, and it's going to be a fantastic night. And yeah. players really shouldn't be in the red zone. I mean, when you look at the timings and the spacings, and Cardiff City's the, a few days after, but it's at home. Mm. Uh, you know that that's the one where you could see him maybe making a couple more tweaks as well. So. The bench um, might be different, Paul. But when I say red yeah. zone, I'm thinking Mustafi, for example, who's had yeah. a hamstring for about eight weeks. Sure. Right? Just can't quite make 90 minutes and misses the odd game. He's obviously carrying something and, and just getting through the games yeah. until we get a fitter Koscielny or a fitter Mavropanos to allow him to properly heal. Yeah. So those type of players are the ones that concern me. Look, we have a full week between Chelsea and United. The thing that sucks is we have three days before Cardiff and four days before Man City. And then, you know, you're back to having a week between games again. So, you know, I mean, even if you're willing to say the Man City game, you can almost flush it. Um, then you just have to be able to beat Cardiff at home. So I, I think he's in a position the way the games tear out that he could go full strength against United. What I will tell you is if we beat West Ham and beat Chelsea and he opts to rotate and have a mixed squad against United... I think he will have some leeway with that. I I do. Um, you know, and what he look, needs what he needs is a, is a little bit of a Dennis Suarez in there, right, to help him rotate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I mean, I st- I still think. Look, wouldn't you rather have a Wobi play that game so you could save Dembele for the league games? See, yeah, yeah, see, you're right. playing checkers right. and I'm playing chess. But anyway, <laughs> it's all good. I think we can leave it there. We uh we have. A lot to talk about coming up. A lot of big, fun football. The Europa League comes back. Um, it's West Ham at the weekend, so we will definitely have a, a podcast for you after that. And, and we are going to have a bunch of Patreon uh, content this month. Um, we're going to do another transfer analysis pod on Patreon later in the week, uh, although you kind of got a, a free bonus one today, so there you go. That works. If you've signed up for Patreon or would like to, uh, we really appreciate it. But if you do not want to, I would love you, and that's fine. And you know what? You got an ad-free version today. Anyway, so there you go. No break today. Just straight through. An hour of spitting fire. Hot takes from the Arsenal Vision podcast crew. Um, Tim will be back. Scott will be back. And we desperately, desperately need them. Could use some rotation in the squad right now, to be honest. Uh, I am off to Las Vegas in a matter of hours. So if you need me, I will be there. Uh, not doing anything debaucherous, sadly, just looking at electronics products. In any event, uh, Paul's on Twitter, Paws in my pants. Thanks, Paws. Hey, you know that weird bastard Oyston over at Blackpool? The yeah. weird freaky guy, yeah? yeah, yeah so yeah. do you think if you took that picture of Hector Bellerin in the stands about a week or so ago and used that aging software, that's what he'd look like when he was 75? Clive's on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Thanks, Clive. I'll go with this straight. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about Tim uh, for having the audacity to be gone so long. Uh, And we will be back after Arsenal 10, West Ham 0.